I'd like to read Micah chapter 2, verse 4, uh, through uh, verse 13. Uh, that's the goal for today. I think we'll be able to get a little bit more, but we'll see. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach. Thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be a preacher for this people. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate. Going out by it, the king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. So last week we looked at the first few verses of chapter 2, and uh, Micah made a transition from talking about uh, cities and places uh, to talking about people and accusing them of the sin. In chapter 1, uh, the end of the chapter talked about all those different towns and used uh, Hebrew words that sounded like other things. So the one Hebrew word sounded like dust, and it said that city will go out into the dust. Uh, and uh, that's how he finished up the, the, the chapter. So here in, in chapter 2, we looked at those who made plans on their beds. They thought, how can I steal land from my fellow countrymen? How can I get land away from other uh, Israelites, other Jews. And uh, we looked at that, and uh, they were devising plans. They coveted houses and fields. They seized them. But then uh, verse 3 says, now God's going to devise a plan uh, against you. And disaster has come from the Lord, Micah 1 verse 12. Uh, it, he, they are not going to be able to get their necks out of it and they're going to be stuck, and the repetition is it will be a time of disaster. Chapter 2, verse 4 begins with, in that day. And uh, the in that day begins uh, what is called a, a mocking song, uh, a taunt song, or a proverb. Uh, the the uh, New American Standard says they'll take up against you a taunt and then has proverb in the margin. The New King James says they'll take up a, a proverb. Uh, and the proverb is the one who covets a field is going to have the field taken away from him. Or don't covet a field because it might 
be taken away. You remember in the, the one prophecy, they sowed the wind and they reaped the whirlwind. That's the idea. You, you laid up, you laid in your bed all night and you've been thinking about how to steal property from your fellow uh, Israelites. Now there's going to be a taunt against you about the very thing uh, that you want to do. If you covet houses, you'll end up with no house. So that's the idea. Habakkuk uh, chapter 2 verse 6 has a similar taunt. Will not all of these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, for how long, and makes himself rich with loans. Here comes judgment. Here comes another nation that is going to take over your nation. And Habakkuk puts the same question out there. How long are you going to be able to do your wickedness? And it's just going to completely uh, turn around. Uh, the language here is uh, strong. The ESV says moan bitterly, but there's actually uh, words piled up on top of each other. So it could be lamenting, you will lament, or you will utter a bitter lamentation. The, uh, the Geneva Bible says a doleful lamentation. One commentator says, you'll lament a lamentation of, of lamenting uh, because the, the words are, are packed up. Wail a wail of woe. Uh, one writer says, the dirge which follows is purposely in abrupt brief words as those in trouble speak with scarce breath for utterance. So, so it says, now here comes the... <coughs> <clears throat> here comes the, the, the army, here's all your plans, they're gone. They're, there's going to be a taunt song against you. What do they say? We're utterly ruined. You, you went from planning and taking away houses and lands to saying we're utterly ruined. How, how desperate. How desperate. I, I couldn't think, I couldn't help but think that uh, sometime in my lifetime, I would hear people in the United States say that we're, we're ruined, we're utterly ruined. Our, our country is crumbling or, or whatever. But they went from a proud people, a planning people, uh, to a completely ruined people. And God is working by himself through the Assyrians, right? He... He, they say, he removes the land from me. He changes the portion of his people. And verse 5, there's none to cast the line in the assembly of the Lord. They're saying, look, this isn't being done fairly. You go back to the time of Joshua when they said, well, you take this area and you got here to here to here to here. That's it. And you take this area and you have here to here to here. That's yours. And then within that, they said... All right, Mr. Weaver, you got this plot over here, and you go from that brook over to here. Mr. Hillish, you got this. Well, this is their lament. This is their thing. This isn't being done fair. This land is being taken away from us. It's, uh, it, it, it's, um, it, it, it's easy when I pictured both sides. So here comes the army, and they're in exile. This, this Jew had his land taken away twice. Once by the, these usurpers and plotters, and once by the Babylonians. And off he goes, and he's saying the same dirge. My land, my land has been taken away two times. 
But in the same crowd, he sees the guy that took his land. And somebody can say, hey, hey, look, there's that guy that stole your land. And he can start the taunt, can he? Hey, you stole my land. Where's the land now? Neither of us have it. You see the situation? It's, te it's terrible, but that's what's going on. Uh, there's no one who's doing it fairly. The portion of the people is being changed. The land is being taken away from these people. And, and the, the summary in the, in the ESV was to an apostate, he gives the land. It's the worst person you could give anything to. Uh, whether it's talking about the king of Assyria or, or others who would come in, you remember that was the practice. Uh, the, the conquering armies would carry people from other nations and they'd just drop them off. Mr. Jew and your family, you're out. You, we conquered you from someplace else. This is your house now, right? They would, they would do that with the soldiers. You fought valiantly in the battle, take those Jews and get rid of them and you can have whatever you want over here. And that's how they got all uh, mixed up. Uh, but it says in other uh, versions, uh, it was given to a turncoat or there was a turning away and, and, and there's different, uh, different things. But the idea is they, they carried people away and mixed them all up and you, you break up the society. Uh, Calvin's summary is absolutely excellent. He, he puts all these words in, a, in, the, in the Jewish uh, tongue, one of these people who is lamenting. It is now all over with us, and there is no remedy for this evil. For not only are we stripped of all our property and ejected from our country, but what has been taken away by our enemies cannot be restored to us. That's the idea. I'm never coming back, and if I come back, somebody has already been put in there. It can't be restored to us inasmuch as they have already parted our possessions among themselves and everyone occupies his own uh, portion and his own place as though it were his own inheritance. We have therefore to do not only with the Assyrians in general, but also with every individual for what everyone now occupies and possesses, he will defend as his right and his hereditary possession. I take a Jewish family out, I put, a, I put a, another family from some place that I conquered in. Now the Jew comes back and said, that's my old house. The guy that's in there says, no, I've lived here 30 years since the Assyrians gave me and my family and we'll fight you to the death to get this back. That's, that's exactly the picture. And that's, what the, and that's what they see in their mind as they go. And the one person is taunting the other person and saying, hey, land grabber, where's your land now? You see how uh, bitter this is. And then we come to uh, an interesting section that I've called No Stomach for Preaching, verses 6 through 11. Um, I have to say at this point that I'm only using uh, to guide me the English Standard and uh, the King James because they're the closest. Uh, there's different words. There's, there's italics. There's footnotes. There's large sections of studying of, of uh, Hebrew words, and I just, I just don't understand it all. But if you, if you uh, listen to the ESV, this is how 
uh, I would uh, see this correctly, and, and the, the King James is close. People say to Micah, do not preach. And Micah says, thus they preach. This is how they preach. And then they have a two-point sermon. So this is false prophets who say don't preach. Point number one, one should not preach of such things. In all our prophets so far, they said don't preach that message. And their second point, disgrace will not overtake us. And all the prophecies have that the same thing. God can't take over his own people. God's not going to do anything to his own people. So in, in lieu of all the other technical things that, that uh, I don't really understand, I, I'm just taking this short, right? The people say, don't preach. Micah says, this is what they do preach. And then there's two things that, that they say. So, so that's how we're going to uh, approach it. You remember in Amos 2.12, do not prophesy. You remember in Amos chapter 8, they don't want me to prophesy, so now there's going to be no one can find the word of the Lord in the whole nation. In 1 Kings 22, there was a prophet, Micaiah, and he uh, prophesied against Ahab. Ahab didn't like him, and the one time Ahab was going to go into battle. And all the other prophets said, go, go, go. The Lord's going to deliver them into your hands. Ahab says, no, get that one more guy. I'm not happy with this. Get that one more guy. And Micaiah comes and says, go, the Lord will prosper in your hands. And Ahab says, no, I don't think so. You don't say good things uh, uh, towards me. So Micaiah says, yeah, you're right. You're going to go and you're going to be killed. But he's the only one. He's the only one that says the right thing. Amos' prophecy. They commanded the prophets saying, you shall not prophesy. You remember Amaziah. The land is not able to bear all his words. Prophesy someplace else and never prophesy again at Bethel. Just get away. Do not preach. That's the first section. Go someplace else. Men categorically rejected the ministry of Jesus and the apostles as well. Modern rejections of what God says are, are, are just painted in enough talk about God to, to lead people astray. They, they, they really are. Some of, the, some of the things that are said are, are, are so filled with error. We have in our day that it's all based on man's ability. It's based on man's wants. I've been... Uh, I've been reading up on this. You have all the potential in you that God has given you and what your goal in life is to just unlock that potential. Yeah, you don't believe it either. <laughs> you see, because it's not God's word, it's what people want to hear. But the, but the danger is, and 2 Timothy 4.3 says, that people accumulate to themselves teachers to suit, to fit, to adapt to their own what? Lusts or passions or desires. Well, I don't, I don't really like that. I don't really like to hear that message. I want something a little more. And then they just go around. And pretty soon, pretty soon, Paul says, you have a pile. You have a pile of false teachers you like to listen to. You have accumulated them. You've gathered them. You've 
amass them. Do not preach the same word as used in Amos 7, verse 6. Now, the false preachers and the false prophets, this is what they say. Micah switches it around. They told me, do not preach. And Micah says, thus they preach. Point number one of the false prophets. It's a two-point sermon. One should not preach of such things. That's their first point. Micah, you should not preach of such things. Amos, the land can't bear all your words. Well, what, what should you not preach about? They're basically saying your, your subject matter, what you're preaching is irrelevant. Well, they certainly don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about justice. They don't want to hear about righteousness. They don't want to hear about spiritual idolatry or adultery. They don't want to hear about God's uh, commandments. Yeah, but that kind of preaching is overbearing and condemning, isn't it, though? Uh, your whole message, it just needs to be changed. Be changed. Something that, you know, I might look forward to hearing when I get here. But it's the rejection of God, it's the rejection of his word, and it's the rejection of his prophets. And, and can you imagine? That's their first point. One should not preach such things. Stop preaching that. I've been uh, studying in this book, and the guy talks about Joel Osteen's preaching. That's the preaching that one should not preach. The second point, disgrace will not overtake us. Um, Yahweh, all this stuff about judgment, all this stuff about nations coming, all this stuff about captivity, sorry, you got it wrong. They say, I know better than God. I know God's message better than he does. That is a lie. Yahweh, you, you're sending out the wrong message. Why do you bother sending these people? Just tell them to go home. Tell them to get out of here. That's their second point. The king Jehoiakim found the scroll. And as they read the scroll and opened it, he cut another piece off and threw it in the fire. And they opened it more and read more. And he cut a piece off and threw it in the fire. That's the idea. Get rid of the truth of God. Here's what I've been reading. I don't use the word sinners. I don't have it in my heart to condemn people. Well, well, then you can't preach the gospel. Because the gospel takes away condemnation. Romans 8, there is therefore no condemnation. You mean there was before? You're right, there was. We're doomed to eternity in hell. Well, I don't talk about that. I don't use the word sinners. Robert Schuller said, Jesus never called anybody a sinner and neither will I. Lie through your teeth. You being evil, if you being evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more God? Oh, did you just call us evil? Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but who? The people that don't have, a, 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 the, the people that have unrealized potential? That's the message, though. That's the message. 
And people are dying with unrealized potential when their real problem is sin against the living God. Ten commandments of sin piling up each and every day. And this guy has the audacity to say, I don't call somebody a sinner. And the people in the pews say, I don't find that edifying. Because it's God's truth. And we've talked about it before. If you want to come here and have a pinchless, punchless ministry, that you've got the wrong place. If you don't expect God to stir up your soul, either we're doing something wrong or you're doing something wrong. Because if it's the true message preached in, from sincere hearts, it's going to find human hearts and it's going to pinch them a little and let them know who they really are. Amen. Because in the end, if you know who you really are, then you can say, Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Bless the Lord Jesus Christ, because I was lost. I was totally, completely lost, but he saved my soul. Amen. Oh, don't say that. We just, we just talked about the authority before. What did they tell Jesus? You can't come in the temple and do that stuff. Who gave you the right to do that? Who gave you the right to preach like that? That's unpopular. Well, you, you, you just, you just uh, slipped by a whole bunch of text, texts. You just said, you just said you wouldn't condemn anybody. Uh, you just said God must be wrong for condemning people. By what authority do you do these things? And the top, the top level of hypocrisy, isn't it? Because they should have condemned what was going on in the temple too. But they were lovers of money, weren't they? Yes. Yeah, you can set up in the temple. You just give me my share. You can set up in the temple. You make sure. You make sure. Total hypocrisy. They put aside God. They put aside all of his truth. They concoct false teachings and practices. And then they act like that's orthodoxy. That's what they do. Oh, we don't preach that harsh, oh, right? Fire and brimstone. Those are like the two worst words in the world to some people. Oh, we don't preach fire and brimstone. That's the old, right? That's the old gospel. You got to find a tent out in the middle of nowhere to hear fire and brimstone. But that's wrong. What do you think God is talking about that he's going to do to these people? What do you think really happened to them? They couldn't change the message. They couldn't say, don't preach that, preach this instead and get away with it. What gives these false teachers the idea that they're ever going to get away with it? And I don't care if you've got an auditorium of 10 or 15,000 people, which is the case, you are spewing deceitful lies into their brains. Amen. And they smile all the way home because they feel so good. And then Yahweh's questions in verse 7. Here the translations are more consistent, a little bit easier. But, but God says, is this what God's people should say? See, he's, he's, they've, they've just had their two-point sermon. And he's saying, is this what God's people should stay? say? No, people should say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I'll hear whatever comes out of the mouth of God because that's what's truly safe. Has the Lord, Lord grown impatient or has the spirit of the Lord grown short? No, of course not. 
But that's what they would say. Boy, what's God all upset about? What's, what's, what's he always talking about sin? Why are we talking about judgment and nations coming and taking us over? No, but God is merciful. That's the, that's the point. Has the spirit grown short? No. Uh, Trap comments and uses an old, an old English term. He says, is God a penny father? Is he stingy? Is he miserly? Does he give out just a little bit here? Is he a penny father? No, he's not. He says, has God just one blessing? Is there not with him plenteous redemption? An exceeding abundant goodness, even to a super pleonasm? Well, you say, what's a super pleonasm? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. He's using a, a, a Greek word as an English word, but pleonasm means plenty and super means super. It's from 1 Timothy 1.14, where Paul is talking about his salvation. And he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ was more than abundant. And the, and the word you'll recognize is hooper epleonasen. So there's Trapp's word in there with hooper, and we get hyper. So if somebody's hypersensitive, what are they? They're very sensitive. And if you have hypertension, what is that? You have bad blood pressure, right? If you're hyperactive, what is that? You're wild, bouncing off the walls. Well, brethren, uh, God's grace is hyperabundant. It's superabundant. You almost can't describe it. That's, that's what Paul is trying to get at. The grace in the Lord Jesus Christ was superabundant. He used the one word that means, that means abound. It's more than enough. It's hyper, it's super, and another word that means abundance. That's what it really is. Trap continues, where then is the fault that you are no more Jacob-like, plain-hearted and persuadable? That, those are two good questions. Those are two good words for us. Before God's word, how should I be? Plain-hearted and persuadable. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That's what, that's what it's all about, right? I'm not going to start nickel and diamond and all that art. He goes off on this and, you know, when are we going to get out of the book of Mark? Oh, what's going on? Uh, I, I, I want this. I want that. But, but there's sermon tasters everywhere. But trap, Trap's question, it should, it should uh, help us. Plain hearted and persuadable. And I... I I looked and I said, God, give me a plain heart. Just give me a plain heart, thirsty heart. Yes. David, David says, I, I want my heart to be like a deer that's been chased around in the woods all day long and can barely stop to get a drink and just take it all in as fast as I can. Thirsts, thirst for God and persuadable, not tough. Well, let's see what he can persuade me. Let's see what he's going to say today. That's not plain hearted, isn't it? That's, just, that's a little stubborn. Brethren, we all have it, right? That stiff part in the back of our necks, man. You say, man, I wish I had a pliable neck. I wish I had a pliable spirit sometimes, all the time before the living God. 
you are no more Jacob-like, plain-hearted and persuadable, that you refuse to be reformed, hate to be healed, saying to me, depart, and to my prophets, do not preach. So Trapp says the question about why are you like, why are you not Jacob, he puts it into there and says that's what you should be like. The guy that wrestled with God. The guy that wrestled with God, what was he doing before? He went out in the evening to meditate in the field. That's what he wanted to do. The application to us has to be about God's superabounding grace. And just a moment, we should think that's really what it is. Because when we get at our worst, God's grace goes like this, doesn't it? I'm lonely, or I'm tired, or I don't have this, or I don't have that. And, and the, our view of God's grace isn't super abundant. It gets small. Oh, God seems to be working in that person's life, but I don't know if God's working in my life. There's only one kind of grace. There's only one kind of grace that's in Jesus Christ. It's superabounding grace. It wasn't just because Paul was a wicked sinner. Oh, you know, he persecuted the church. He said it himself. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean categorically he needed more grace than, than, than you or I. No, it's all superabundant grace. And, and that's what happens. We get that myopic look. Well, I don't know. I don't know if God's really working in our church. No, he is, and we have to believe it. We have to believe it, brethren. Don't let those, don't let those seeds take, take hold. The text says superabundant. Mm -hmm. Then God asks him another question. Are these his deeds? Are these the things that God approves? Are you doing God's will? And the answer is no. If you have an attitude like that, that God's not going to touch us, that these bad things aren't going to happen, and don't preach, you're not doing God's will. Question number four. Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? Here's the first question that it's a resounding yes, because that is the intention of God's word. That is the purpose. Yes, they most certainly do. It's their design. It's their purpose. Think of the spirit and the power of Psalm 119. I looked at God's word from every different angle, and it's beautiful in every different angle. What, uh, precepts and promises and statutes and rules and laws and everything is beautiful. Psalm 19 says they're more to be desired than gold, and then he raises the bar and says what? Much fine gold. Well, I just, I just like gold. Oh no, God's word is like much fine gold. And what can it do? It can save your soul. It can keep you pure. That's, that's what God's words do. Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. Yes, they do. They guide me every step of the way. They're my meditation day and night. They're the things that, that help me, that lift me up. But it's to all men, not only those who look uprightly, even sinners. Psalm uh, 25, verse 8, good and upright is Yahweh, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. You say, well, I feel like a sinner sometimes. Well, that's good because God's, 
not, God not only works with the upright ones, but with sinners who need his help. His mercy and goodness reach to his people. His mercy and goodness reaches to sinners. And if you seek God, he'll show you how to walk with him. That's, that's what he's saying to his people. But the, the next thing, verses 8 and 9. God's people become an enemy to God's people. Here's the greed, the coveting, the evil planning, the oppression, everything. And it's interesting that he says lately or recently or yesterday, this, this has come to his attention. And, and that's kind of interesting because if I said to you, if I said to you, well, lately you seem this way, which means, well, maybe before lately you weren't, but it puts it in your court, doesn't it? Well, lately you seem sad. Well, what are you going to say? Well, yeah, I am. But you have to answer, well, I'm not really. I just have this sad looking face all the time. But whatever you're going to say. But God says, lately, this is what you do. All this self-serving treachery, all this uh, intrigue and people taking houses. The parent will seek out uh, the, the child and, and notice verse 9. They'll take them from their house and their young children, you take away my splendor forever. That's what happens generationally in wicked societies. The children don't know about the glory of God because the parents focus on something else. The parents focus on oppression and taking over somebody's property. What are they going to tell the kids? Oh, we're trusting in the Lord. Doesn't seem like it. You remember in... Uh, uh, I believe in uh, Judges, uh, uh, the woman had a child named him Ichabod. The glory is departed. She said, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't Israel the way it's supposed to be. God's glory is gone. Uh, and that's what he's kind of saying. You, the, it's gone. Verse 10. Here's the oppressors and the robbers with no place to go. And it goes back to this picture that we saw before a taunt song and, and and this this terrible terrible thing it's similar to the verses of exile in in uh, chapter 1 and verse uh, 11 you you're you're going to be cast out the uncleanness destroys and and god defines it revelation 13 9 and 10 if anyone has an ear to hear let him hear if anyone is to be taken captive to captivity he goes if anyone is to be slain with the sword with the sword he must be slain here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints revelation 13 9 and 10 jeremiah 15 2 this is the passage where jeremiah but god says through jeremiah even if moses and samuel would start interceding for this people that's not going to work and when you ask where shall we go you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, those who are for pestilence to pestilence, and those who are for the sword to the sword, those who are for famine to the famine, and those who are for captivity to captivity. And, and verse 10, that's what it's saying. Arise, go. There's no, there's no place to rest. You, you've done all these sinful things, and, and God's going to allot the portion to all these people. Whether it's in Jeremiah's day or at the end in Revelation God knows where a sinner is going to be put. In the congregation of Israel, you, they would separate families. 
And one female would be screaming, that's my husband, you're taking my husband away. No, 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 you're going into slavery. We're going to kill him with a sword. No, that's my kids. Those are my kids you're taking away. Well, you're going to pestilence. Uh, they're going to something else. And then here come the preachers that the people really liked. Verse 11. They utter wind and lies. Notice the, notice the deep content in their preaching. They utter wind and lies. And they say, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. And you say, now you're talking. Oh, did you hear about that preacher? He's got a, a whole series on wine and strong drink. Oh, I could have listened to that. You see the idea, you see the picture, but what is it? It's wind and lies. But that's the kind of preacher they want. Doesn't it, doesn't it fit? Doesn't it fit with my lusts? Well, what's wrong with drinking a little bit? Oh, nothing. I listened to a preacher. He said, it's just, it's just fine. Drink all you want. Oh, I got to go there. But it's all opposite. They utter wind and lies. Jeremiah 5, verses 12 and 13. It says, they said no disaster and they spoke falsely. Jeremiah says the prophets will become wind. The word is not in them. Right? That's the picture. Here's a guy speaking words. You, you say, well, wait a minute. I heard that guy preach on television. But Jeremiah says if they're false, those aren't real words that are coming out. They're, they're, they're nothing, are they? They can't do anything. They're false. It's like wind. Jeremiah 6, 14. They healed the wound, but lightly. Uh, doctor, you think I need stitches? Nah, we'll just put bandages on it. Well, how come it's still pouring blood out? That's what that kind of preaching does. It's a, it's a fake bandage. It's a fake bandage. They're greedy for unjust gain. What do they say? Peace. Peace. Don't worry. There's going to be peace. Take it easy. Uh, Micah's emphasis, chapter uh, 3 and verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat and declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouth. So there they go. You got any food? I'll tell you a good message from the Lord. You don't have any? You're in trouble. What kind of ministry is that? Verse 11, its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster will overcome you. There's that, there's that message again. They only have two points. I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. That's the kind of stuff we like to hear. And then God's restoration plan in verse 12 talks about a remnant is coming. And then verse 13, which I think is completely different. Uh, some writers thought it was messianic. I think it's a picture of God actually leading the people into exile. Uh, notice the war imagery. It's step-by-step, step-by-step siege and conquering words. Opens the breach. They, it talks about uh, some uh, things talk about a breaker. Well, that's what they used to have. They used to have this giant battering ram that used to just smash day and night against uh, the walls or against the, the doors. All these siege works. They'll go up before you, break through. They'll pass by the gate. 
This is the third time he's talked about the gate. That's where the warfare is going to be, in your face, Micah 1, 9 and 12. Their king passes on. Now, this is either a display of the, of the king. The Assyrian king comes and says, these are all my people now. They're defeated. Or uh, it's the Israelite king who's passing before them. In, the, in, his, in history, Zedekiah tried to uh, run away. And, uh, and they caught up with him. And they killed his sons in front of him and put out his, his eyes. But notice, as they try to escape... Yahweh leads them into exile. It's all God's activity that's in the future of, of what will happen. And, and Trapp says, uh, Yahweh, that man of war, going before them as a captain of the enemy's force. All the pictures are the whole thing being broken down and up to the gate. And the next thing you do is take the captives and take them out of the city. And, and uh, uh, I believe and uh, a few believe that, 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 that God's taken them out. And the reason is to avenge the quarrel of his covenant. They, they quarreled against God's covenant, didn't they? They quarreled against his preaching. They quarreled against uh, everything. Uh, Isaiah chapter 45 gives us a, a hint that that's the case because he, he says that King Cyrus is his servant. And that Cyrus came to do what God wanted him to do. Ultimately, uh, God is going to lead and force his people out into exile. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for these things. Help us to cut a straight course with your word. Help us to be those who would uh, echo the true sentiments of speak for your servant hears. In Jesus' name, amen.